Welcome everyone to the Best Evidence Medical Education Podcast. I'm Dr. Janet Crowell at the University of Colorado in the United States, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Suzanne Van Schalkweik and Manuel Juan Costa. They today will be speaking about global health professions education research. I'm going to turn it over now to each of them to introduce themselves. Susan, would you like to go first? Thanks, Janet, and thanks to all the listeners for joining us, and I hope we're going to have a great conversation. Um, I am at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Stellenbosch University, which is situated right at the bottom point of Africa um, near Cape Town. Uh, I work at the Center for Health Professions Education, where I'm the director, and our remit is uh, threefold. We firstly focus on uh, postgraduate programs. We have a master's program in health professions education and a PhD or doctoral program in, in the similar field. Uh, we also have quite a strong faculty development remit here in the center and also are involved in curriculum renewal and various other initiatives to support teaching and learning in our faculty. Over to you, Manuel. Hello, everyone, and thanks for being with us. So I am at the medical school at the University of Minho. Minho is the northwest region of Portugal, uh, some 50 kilometers up from the uh, renowned city of Porto, and I'm working in Braga. My, med my, my role in the medical school is that I have been coordinating the so-called medical education unit, which has various roles starting from the administration of the undergraduate medical program, running the program and taking care of the day-to-day -day business, to uh, doing uh, the faculty development of a whole medical school. And I'm also involved uh, in supporting research in medical education and developing some research in, on my own. And so my role has been that until September this year, actually. Now I've been recently uh, appointed to uh, pro-rector for the University for uh, Pedagogic Innovation and Student Affairs, so that I'm, I'm starting a new life at the moment. That's wonderful, and thank you both for taking the time to speak today. You both gave a wonderful workshop at the Association of Medical Education of Europe conference this past August, and I'm very excited to hear your thoughts today. The first question I was hoping we could address was, how do you define equity in global health professions education research? Uh, Janet, I'll kick off on this one. And I think the notion of equity is one that ought to make sense for us in the health professions. All over the world, there's a growing, if not even established understanding of the need for there to be equity in the health system. It's a concept and a construct that we understand. And in that context, equity is seen as the fair and just distribution of access to health care. So I would argue that if we reframe that in terms of our conversation today, then it is about a fair and just distribution of access to opportunities for all those who would regard themselves as researchers in health professions education. So essentially, it's probably about lay, leveling the playing fields in health professions education research. But I'll give over to Manuel before I go any further on that. Yes, exactly. Uh, we can also think about it in the, in, this, in, the, in the way that let's assume that such equity 
does not exist. So this would probably mean that there will be evidence that the scholarship in health profession research is producing, which might be for in one sense biased because only a few people in the world from a few regions in the world will be producing it. And uh, on the other way, uh, on the other hand, would also mean that people who are on the on those other parts of the world who are not contributing may feel excluded from this community. And of course, this will not be contributing uh, to uh, actually develop an international, a real internationally uh, community of the scholarship on health professions education. And Susan, did you have any additional comments that you wanted to make? Um, I was thinking that at this point it might be useful um, for Manuel to give us uh, an overview of some of the research that he's done in this area, some of the facts and figures, because that would help us to sort of play out what that means um, in, our, in terms of our understanding of equity across the system. Sure. So I'll, I'll give a brief overview of the study that we are developing uh, in with, which intends to understand uh, how actually is the playing field in terms of international health professions education research. So you might think of a, um, a project that wants to understand if how far people around the world are contributing to that community. We might thinking about the project if to understand if there be for example, non-intentional privileging of particular cultures, perhaps the Western culture, in what concerns the scholarship in the field. Uh, you might be thinking about a project about uh, how people across the world are also finding um, barriers in their participation in the field. So this is the project that we started to uh, think about, and we thought about looking at bibliometry as a tool. So recently, we pulled together uh, the, uh, a, a data set obtained from uh, the five most uh, cited journals in the medical education playing field, which, may, which, which are academic medicine, medical education, medical teacher, advances in health science education, and BMC medical education. We are asked ourselves if the uh, origin and the geographical origin in this instance of, of the evidence of the papers that are coming out would be reasonably distribute, distributed throughout the world. Or, of, if that was not the case, if there would be some people or some parts of the world who would be more resident in this community uh, uh, of, of publication. And of course, nowadays, uh, when we think about scientific papers in high-impact journals, we are thinking about really important um, um, instruments. Those instruments dictate the progress of academic career. Those instruments dictate successful in terms of obtaining grants because you can have a better CV if you're able to actually do that publication in those high-impact journals. And so we thought this would be very important as a first um, uh, move to try to understand how, how far the uh, people around the world are actually accessing this scholarship in health professions education. So we pulled together data from the period of 20, 2012 until 2016, all records that were finalized from the International Citation Index 
And we are basically looked at the origin of the authors who were leaders in publications, namely the first author or the last author. And we looked at, uh, uh, we looked at, at a total of 3,818 items. So the question would be, among these nearly 4,000 items, the first question would be, how many countries would be contributing to such items? And we assume the United Nations definition of uh, how many countries there are in the world, which is 195. So when you look at this, at this data, we, we were able to find authorship originating from 89 countries. 89 countries had one published, one publication or more in all these five years. But then we asked, okay, it's good uh, to have one publication uh, in these five years, but perhaps we need a more stronger education indication of participation in the community, which would perhaps be who, wh which are the countries that are publishing every year. And when we look at the origin of the first author and last authors, we discovered that only 32 countries of, out of 195 countries were actually publishing regularly at least one article every year. Hmm. If we actually look at the numbers of the, of the papers that are being published, uh, of these 32 countries that I mentioned were published at least one paper every year, well, there were 15 countries responsible for 90% of the of the 4,000 articles that were published. So many, main, main, as, you, as you can see, we are moving from 195 to 15 countries that are responsible for 90% of the papers. And even, even more, more bluntly, there are five countries which are responsible for 75% of the papers that are published. So uh, to say it in another terms, uh, the top journals in our field are in, in the top journals of our three field, three out of every four countries of four papers are published by five countries. Now, what's interesting then to see is to do an analysis per journal and, and to find out that there, there are clearly journals who are more privileging, uh, more privileging um, uh, a few number of countries than others. For example, journals such as, for example, academic medicine has clearly a more dominance of countries like the uh, United States and Canada, whereas, for example, on the other on the other side of the spectrum, BMC Medical Education is actually having more countries publishing in its journal, namely 72. The top five countries that I was mentioning, which was USA, Canada, Australia, UK, and the Netherlands, make up 97% of the papers coming out in academic medicine. These five countries make up 53% of the papers coming out in BMC medical education. So one can immediately see that the countries which are not in this, let's call it the top five, are actually having more difficulties in, high, in accessing the highest impact journals. And if you think about uh, the charging policies of these journals, you will immediately conclude that it, it's uh, the, the journal that actually is charging the most that is actually accepting more, more countries as uh, authorship of their publications. 
And this, of course, has issues related to are all these countries um, that, are, that, are, that are publishing there, they must raise the money. And perhaps there will be other countries which are not publishing because they, will, for example, may not have such money. The last question that we were asking relates not to what is being published, but what is being cited. And I'll just give you a small number to tell you that um, 93% of the citations of the papers that are coming out in these last five years, 93% of the citations are also coming out from papers published as first authors of Canada, USA, UK, Netherlands or Australia. So if you're thinking about developing your record, are you being cited, is your work being recognized? Clearly, the international scholarship community of health professions education is really acknowledging mostly the work originating in five countries. So I, we, we say that we have a small case, at least, that there may be a bias in terms of the contributions and the participation of in this international community of health professions education. So Susan, maybe you wanna pick up from here? Uh, Janet, are you happy that I go ahead? Oh, absolutely. This is fantastic. Please keep going. All right. So I suppose the question is, well, why is this conversation really important? And if uh, Manuel's data has not convinced uh, people who are listening in, then perhaps we can take a slightly more philosophical stance and recognize that in the words of D'Souza Santos, scientific knowledge is not distributed typically in a socially equitable way. So it's interventions in the real world, and I would preface there in the field of health professions education research, tend to serve the social groups having more access to the knowledge that is being produced. And if we start thinking about powerful knowledge and who comes to be known as a knower in a particular field, then we immediately have to recognize that given the role that published articles play, both in our practice and in our thinking, those who are producing that knowledge that is being published become known as the knowers. And so we have to think about the extent to which the scholarship that is being produced would have relevance across a broader community. In an academic context, power is dependent on what knowledge is and whether it is knowledge that is valued in that particular domain. And then also on, as I have just said, who the knowledge, who the knower is. And knowers are then recognized as people who are seen to be resident within a particular community of practice. So how does this play out um, in real terms? If we, how do we come to a place where there is the opportunity for legitimate participation for all role players in the health professions education research space? Or I could put it differently, what does it mean to belong, in inverted commas, in academia, in health professions education research? And how does one get to belong given the current context that Manuel has laid out for us. In his work on social learning systems, um, Wenger has, 
has introduced the notion of communities of practice. And many of the, those who are listening in today are probably familiar with the idea of communities of practice. So he described a community of practice um, in terms of what that community regards as competence. And this has relevance when we start thinking about the peer review process. Who is making decisions about the competence and quality of a particular piece of research that has been trans, uh, translated into written text? Um, and then also not only about what that community regards as competence, but these members within a community will typically share a joint enterprise or have a particular way of interacting. So they share norms and conventions. And so one often sees in particular meetings that you attend, groups of people getting together based on where they feel comfortable and where they feel confident and competent and where they have a sense of sharing a way of doing and being. But of course, when we start thinking about countries across the world, then we realize that this becomes quite complicated, um, especially when we start thinking about sharing a language. And there, I'm not thinking necessarily of conventional languages, but speaking back to this notion of discourse and a way of doing and a way of being within a particular discipline. So Wenger argues that um, belonging can be enabled in three particular ways, and I think this is what has relevance for today's conversation. He talks about the ideas of engagement, imagination, and alignment. And these are exciting concepts, I would argue, because they offer insight into how we can belong as a community with one another, how novice researchers might be able to enter the community of practice, but also how people who might feel othered from the community of practice can actually find a way to be part of it and to be part of its creation. So not only um, coming to a space where we have to suspend our identities so that we can uh, follow and simply adopt an entrenched canon, an entrenched way of doing, but much more about challenging existing boundaries and being enabled or uh, given space to, given opportunity to challenge dominant thinking and dominant discourses. So Wenger says, and I'll, I'll close with, with this piece for now, is that engagement in this context is seen as doing things with others within the community of practice. So that implies in health professions education research that we think about ways in which more of us can be part of the research, the production of scholarship, the generation of scholarship. If we think about imagination, then that refers, says Wenger, to a cognitive act of seeing oneself as a member of that community. Now, for someone who is in the community, that might seem quite bizarre. Well, join the club. But if you speak to someone who perceives themselves as being outside of the community for whatever reason then the simple act of believing that you can be part of that community becomes really, really powerful. But thirdly, and this is the most important one, 
Wenger's idea of alignment speaks to facilitating a synergy between the new ways of thinking and doing that a newcomer into the community may introduce. And the more established practice may introduce to the more established practices within that community. So I think what I'm calling for here when we go back to your very first question, Janet, how do we define equity? I would define equity as legitimate participation for all of those who regard themselves as researchers in health professions education, such that they can not only participate in the existing way of doing, but can actually shift, challenge, tilt, change practice and contribute to a new scholarship uh, and a new set of knowers. I really love and appreciate that perspective, Susan. That is so thoughtful. And I love how you've really brought our audience back to Lave and Wenger's work in communities of practice. And you've raised so many important points there. One of my concerns over the years has been the cultural dominance. And mm -hmm. so, Manuel, thank you so much for bringing in all the citations and the wonderful research that you've done, because uh, it, it really shows the cultural dominance of a few countries and their schools of thought uh, and Susan, I love how you extend that into we are perhaps missing ways of thinking and different perceptions of medical education, which has long been one of my concerns. Uh, I am a dual citizen of two countries and a, I feel in many ways a cultural immigrant. And I think uh, through that process, I have learned there are multiple perspectives and we are one community, but only a few voices are being heard. Uh, mm -hmm. Manuel, were there some ways in which this topic is important to health professions education research? And by this topic, I mean equity in global health professions education research that you wanted to share with our community here on the BME podcast. Well, I think um, the importance of equity in health professions education research, as Susan was highlighting in, the, in her example, when she started to speak about equity in health, really applies here. So if you, I, I, I uh, am experiencing that we are having a growing community of people interested in the field of uh, health professions education. I think that it is uh, evident that more people are attending conferences. Uh, I think more journals, more papers are trying to be published, even though we, don't, we do not have data about it. I think this is happening right now. So I think it's really important that we stop and reflect about the whole system of how we are uh, doing this um, and designing our, our community. I think that there is, it is a big trap if you uh, allow this no participation uh, um, to continue because then it will, be, it will tend to get probably worse and worse. And what is it to get worse and worse? Uh, it is that people who are, for example, from the parts of the world who are not participating will naturally have more difficulties in using what we normally take as evidence, which is produced uh, in this certain small context uh, of the world. It's, it, it's, it is certainly more difficult from 
uh, people in an Asian country to actually apply many of the uh, conclusions that are coming out from our scholarship because it comes out from a, a probably a more westernized and westernized paradigm so closing uh, uh, the gap uh, allowing the education to develop in these countries to actually produce better health professionals who maybe then act and produce better health systems uh, it, it, it's really important that we uh, uh, allow them to to uh, work, uh, we allow, it's a bad word, that we work with them to be part of this world and to actually produce such evidence. If you want to take a look at another perspective, which is from the countries and from the community that's, that is actually already participating, I think one of the most important um, goals of doing research on education relates to understanding how to implement things in diverse contexts. To the point that uh, we allow our community to actually focus only on uh, uh, strategies that are developed on a very culturally uh, limited context, I think we are hurting uh, even the knowledge that we are producing. I think we're not learning what we need to learn. For example, to deal in this current world of globalized world in which people travel and professionals travel and students travel, and we need to understand how to actually work with them better and we need to we need to buy to be influenced by those people to actually make our education systems more sensible to different cultures and therefore more sensible to what the, the real world is in terms of the, the the patients not all patients in the world of course will be uh, westerners there will be there's lots of there's a lot, there will be lots of professionals who will be from different cultures and of course as well. So I think we, it, it's important that we develop this conversation of bringing everyone to the playing field and uh, to act on that conversation. We need to actually uh, have people uh, who from different cultures, from different perspectives, integrate the debate. And integrating the debate is probably related to uh, uh, being involved in these big societies that are promoting education, that they are, they are promoting sciences. It may be also the case that we need to have uh, more people from other, from different cultures, from diverse contexts represented in positions such as uh, editorial editors in journals and people who make decisions about the medical education and the health professions education field. I think the, the real the real danger of, of letting this community, which is growing, growing in this way, it will be to actually make it make it even more and more narrower, narrower, as people who try to participate feel that they cannot participate, and I think that's that's a shame for for everyone. I think. Absolutely. I'd like to turn our attention now to the third question uh, for our podcast and the final question for the podcast today, which is what are some specific action steps you would like to see the health professions education community engage in towards creating equity in health professions education research? So Janet, maybe I'll pick up on this one. And I think uh, Manuel has already started introducing us to some specific steps. And I want to, to also acknowledge here that Internationally, there are already things happening. So although we've perhaps painted a slightly bleak picture in terms of all the research and the data that, that Manuel has, has, has shared with us, 
uh, there is evidence of people starting to ask quite tough questions about um, partnerships, global health partnerships, global health education partnerships, um, people becoming more aware of the sort of language or discourse that they're using, uh, the ideas of us and them, home and away, and um, the notion that one is going to serve in particular communities that are in need of, of help and being uh, pulled out of the, of the darkness. I, th I think that discourse is shifting on many important fronts. And, and, one, and I think it's important to acknowledge that. But when we come to specific uh, suggestions as to a way forward, I think one of the most important issues that I definitely um, deal with on almost a day-to-day -day basis relates to the issue of writing. So writing, I would argue, is the currency that we all use in academia. In any form of research, it is your potential, your ability to be able to inscribe whatever knowledge you have uh, generated through your research. That is the probably the key competence that you would need in order to be successful and to participate successfully in um, in a particular field, in this case, in health professions, education, research. But this suggests that, again, that the playing fields are equal. And for many, in the process of writing, various experiences, various modes of expression end up being revised or erased along the way. And this problem of erasures and silences I would argue is, is a really political issue because it comes back to what I was saying earlier about knowledges and ways of being that are being erased. So in seeking recognition and entry into the health professions education research community of practice, apart from some of the, the practical ways that, that Manuel has already alluded to, I would argue that we'll need to think differently about how we go about forming collaborations and forming networks that are enabling. So Brenda Libovitz, who um, has written about these, a lot of these ideas in the South African context, suggests that we need a form of what she calls cognitive justice, which assumes a global system that is prepared to evolve, that is prepared to shift, and that it's that is prepared to change, and it presupposes a sort of cultural humility, a critical self-reflection that might even prove to be disorienting or troubling, but that could collectively catalyze the sort of shift that we need. So, I think what I'm calling for is that we apply this search for cognitive justice in the context of health professions education research by critically engaging with preconceived ideas and dominant positions and look to ways in which we can find solutions for global health problems, situating them in the context of where many of those challenges exist. 
And I take, for example, the continent that I live on, Africa, which probably carries the highest burden of disease. Yet, ironically, during the Ebola outbreak in West Africa a few years ago, almost none of the studies that were published uh, in that time about the Ebola crisis had any African author representation on them at all. So we again come back to the this notion of how do we how do we make the playing fields equal equitable and how do we allow for greater collaboration in finding solutions across the entire globe absolutely i would i would subscribe to uh, all that susan has actually pointed out and I, perhaps i would i would like to add that we need to reflect but we need to reflect about creating transformative opportunity we need to unite, I think, the growing interests of health professions, education, that I think it's happening worldwide. And we need to give these underrepresented communities a genuine voice in our playing field. I think we're not thinking enough about that. This, of course, relates to thinking about uh, principles, like, for example, Susan was uh, mentioning humility, but also think also things things like uh, instruments like which are the things that we are rewarding? Uh, can, are we really uh, creating the stage that a new kind of collaboration that leads to important scholarship scholarship can develop? Uh, perhaps we need to think about the need to have strategic partnerships to leverage. Of course, uh, writing competencies that will be that will be critical, and that in a long time can actually leverage research quality, but is also perhaps important uh, uh, worldwide. I think these 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 researchers from these parts of the world that are normally not participants need to be acknowledged and supported. Susan was mentioning the uh, the key example of a continent, Africa, but even in Europe, uh, as uh, we have seen from our data, of course, it's limited to best uh, impact journals, um, five years of literature search, but still, um, most of the countries in Europe are not there, right? So the, the inequities are not only continental and classical, there are more people in the world uh, uh, and even in this uh, in developed countries like Europe that are need to be taken into consideration. What is it that is actually preventing uh, to, for preventing them to do that. If we want to change, we have to nurture perhaps different sets of communities. We have to nurture different ways that these people from these countries, which are already more, let's say, advanced or at least more successful, are communicating with people from other countries, from researchers to from these other countries, which are currently uh, more uh, not not so successful in terms of their uh, outcomes uh, in terms of, of, of research. So I think it's, it's great to have this opportunity to, to, to do this podcast because what uh, Susan and I and also Marco Carvalho Filho and Min Ho and Lambert Schurth, that's all the, all, all, the, all the speakers at the workshop really believe is that 
we need to start uh, this new conversation about how we can uh, reflect about our system of scholarship in health professions and education and how we can actually drive it to uh, make it more particip participatory for everyone. So uh, I think this podcast is actually also a means that uh, we can actually reach more people to participate in this conversation and to actually give us more ideas because I'm sure there's many interesting things happening around the world that because the communication is not happening, we don't know about and we need to learn from them. So I think that's, those are perhaps other ideas to take into consideration. Thank you both so much for your time today and thoughtful contributions. In closing, I want to turn to the larger BME community as someone who sits in one of those five countries and as a citizen of two of those countries you mentioned that have the highest rate of publications in health professions education, I want to share one of my mottos. I am a gatekeeper. It is my job to open doors. And so Susan and Manuel have given us much food for thought today and many fantastic suggestions to think differently, to form communities of practice, to create collaborations and strategic partnerships. And dare I say, it's our opportunity now to seek grants to open doors for other people. Many of our countries offer grants that our colleagues in the rest of the world can participate in to gain the writing skills, the communication skills, the partnership skills that Manuel and Susan have spoken of. So my urging to you, best evidence medical education community of the Association of Medical Education of Europe, is that before you end the podcast and return to your busy day, please take a moment for mindful reflection. What is one transformative opportunity that you can do? We all have power. I encourage you to have the moral courage to act. Thank you so much for your time today, and I wish you the best in all of your endeavors in moving the needle forward in best evidence in medical education. Goodbye, and we'll see you next time.